Hello, I'm John Kelly and this is a podcast of Mystery Train. For rights reasons, the music is shorter than in the original programme. Mystery Train hits the rails Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on RTE Lyric FM. From the album I Am A Bird Now, that's uh, Anthony and the Johnsons with uh, Lou Reed and a song called Fistful of Love. Anthony, now Anoni. And before that, we had uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. The Boatman's Call was the album. I haven't played that in a while. And are you the one that I've been waiting for? Eliza Carthy is with me in studio. Eliza, great to have you here. Hey, John, how are you? I thought you weren't going to make it at all. I thought I wasn't going to make it too. You're, you're, still, you're still on the, the highways and byways, on, on, on in vans and... Automobiles and uh, just the classic boats. way, yeah, yeah. Fights, uh, boats and ferries and planes and trains and everything, yeah. Even that song of yours, Thursday, that I opened the show with, you're talking about watch, looking at <laughs> sleeping musicians. That's the life, isn't it? Yeah. Where do you live these days? Where's home? Uh, back in Robin Hood's Bay where, with my parents, actually. I, I know you know that my mother was in a coma a few years ago yeah. and... Um, we moved a fact. I lived in Edinburgh at the time. I've been. I was there for about fourteen years on and off, and we moved the family back down to help take care of her about seven, eight years ago. And we just stayed. The kids go to school. I went to all that. You know, it's lovely. Yeah, it's one of the more beautiful places in the world. So, so whereabouts is that exactly? Where is it close to? Okay, Robin Hood's Bay is. It's about an hour and a half south of Newcastle, straight down the coast. So it's near Whitby and Scarborough and all of that. It's in between Whitby and Scarborough. All right. It's let's, a really pretty spot. Let's, you know, you've been through this a million times, but for people who don't know Eliza Carthy, just give me a brief family tree here, because we, we are talking, to use that expression, I know you've got an MBA and all that, I, that is the expression, folk royalty. Oh, folk royalty. Oh, hurts. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> the T-shirt, folk royalty. Anyway, but the family tree is impressive, so come on. OK, so uh, my dad is Martin Carthy, who is a, a seminal... 60s, 50s, 60s guitarist uh, who's still going. People say to me, oh, I saw your dad in 1972. And I'm like, you know he's still gigging, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you I could saw, have seen him last week. I saw him more recently than that. And he's, he's, he's you know, even just to say that he's a seminal guitarist, it just it doesn't cover it, does it? Oh, I mean, no, it doesn't cover it at all. He's, he's a legend he's a, sort of ballad, a ballad reworker, storyteller. Um, and of course, you mentioned Scarborough there as well. You see, Scarborough Fair. I did mention Scarborough. Yes, he's mm. the man that taught Paul Simon that Scarborough Fair. And I think he taught Bob Dylan a thing or two as well. He certainly did. Yeah, a girl from the North Country, and uh, what's it? Uh, Bob Dylan's Dream is the my dad's version of Lord Franklin. Mm. And a uh, girl from the North Country as well as another one. They were big pals back in the day. And your mum, who I've had the honour to meet and hear sing as well. Uh, my mum was uh, from the wonderful Waterson singing family, Watersons of Hull, that is. And uh, her and her brother and sister started singing again in the 50s with their cousin, John Harrison. as a, It was kind of a vocal harmony group. They were big mates with um, the Dubliners, Luke Kelly and people like that. And they used to chum around together, you know. And um, they, oh, they established a club in Hull called the Bluebell. It was one of the first sort of folk clubs in the country. And uh, they always, yeah, they're just a wonderful open-door policy, a big-hearted family, you know, of, mm. uh, of um, travellers originally. Um, and they settled in Hull about, well, about 150 years ago, 200 years ago, something like that. And, uh, yeah, she's uh, both my uncle 
and my aunt have uh, passed on now, but uh, my mum's still going. We started a festival in her honour in Whitby called mm. Norma Fest. <laughs> mm. And uh, she comes out once a year and has a sing with us. And uh, she's uh, a beautiful, beautiful singer. Big oh, yeah. voice. Oh, yeah. Holds the world in her arms. You know, she holds her arms outstretched when she sings. She's one of them classic soul singers, you know. We may hear from some of your family members as the night progresses. I, I That's right, yeah. Well, uh, Eliza Carthy with me in studio tonight. Eliza's picking the tunes. The first one comes from Peter Bellamy. And I, I notice it's called Road to Mandalay. <laughs> we're going to have a Boris Johnson moment here, aren't we? We are. This is the thing. We're doing the Barrack Room Ballads, which is Kipling. That's what he was quoting. We're doing the Barrack Room Ballads at the Hartlepool Folk Festival in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and the Road to Mandalay is one of my favourite poems. Pete Bellamy set them all to music. And... Um, and it's it's actually a gorgeously romantic song, but it was really, really inappropriate, and you know, suffers from that uh, suffers from that colonial attitude. But it's also just a very, very romantic song about falling in love with a with an extremely beautiful woman in an extremely beautiful land. It's not the kindest about England either, which is uh, one of those lovely double-edged things about Kipling. Um, and tell so, me about Peter Bellamy. Oh well, Peter Bellamy was. Oh, he was a character and a half. He was an artist and a songwriter and a traditional music interpreter. He was famously the teacher of, of a lad um, who said to him, I said, oh, you know, you like that folk music, don't you? This is sort of back in the early 60s. And Pete said, yeah, oh, yeah, I love it. And he said, oh, well, um, my, un- my, my great uncle, he sings some songs in Norfolk. You know, he, he sings some songs and I, I think you might like him. And, uh, and he went round to his house and it was Walter Pardon, and, uh, who had been singing for himself. I mean, he'd learned all his songs off his aunties and uncles and, um, and then everyone had died away, as happens with the old boys, you know. And he was just left with all these family songs and no-one to sing them to. Uh, he became known as the man who collected himself because he, because after he met Pete, he thought after he met Pete, he thought, oh, I can do this. And he sat down to record all his repertoire and he thought, oh, I'll just have a toss of rum. That'll get, you know, I'll get me going. And he takes it. He takes a toss of rum and he sings one song and he thinks, oh, this is easy. And he has another drink and then he sings another song. And apparently, <laughs> apparently, so he, he finishes all his songs. He feels really good about himself. It's about two o'clock in the morning. And then he gets up, he gets up the next day and plays. And of course, he's getting drunker and drunker and drunker as the tape wears on. So, uh, yeah, he had to start again and do it sober. But I think he had a good night. Anyway, Pete was known as the man that uh, as 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 the man that discovered, if you like, uh, Walter Pardon, and he was just a fabulous character, a wonderful singer, and a great man who we were very friendly with for a long time. Okay, Peter Bellamy, Road to Mandalay. And that's Peter Bellamy, the Road to Mandalay, the choice of Eliza Carthy. Eliza is here. Eliza's picking the tunes tonight on Mystery Train. Your next choice, um, maybe you're just being what we would call Plamas, but you've picked an Irish group, <laughs> uh, uh, Lancon, who are formerly lynched, but they're now Lancon. That's right, yeah. Um, where'd you come across these guys? I see, I suppose all, all you guys know each other extremely well because of the festival circuit and all that. Well, I guess I didn't, I didn't meet them at a festival. I, where did I meet them now? I think... Uh, oh, I know where I met them. I'm, I, I'm, I'm lying. We did meet at a festival. We met, we met at Musicport. I wasn't at the Folk Awards the year that they got the the, the year that they performed uh, the first time. But I uh, they they came to Musicport, which is our local world music festival in Whitby, and um, they 
I was booked by Musicport to do their little hangover tour. They do this sort of Musicport on tour thing. After the festival finishes, they hire a load of the um, little village halls and stuff around the area. So there's the, the Gothland Community Village Hut that we, yeah, we go up there and do a gig up there. I'm doing that with my dad in a couple of weeks. Um, they hired St Stephen's Old Church, which is a... Um, a beautiful little Gothic church that sits right on the hill above Robin Hood's Bay, and they had um, oh, they had some Swedish group up there. It was absolutely beautiful, and they had um, they had me and Lankin playing in the pub, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were supposed to do we were supposed to do a little gig, and then the audience was supposed to kind of move on to the church kind of thing, and we stayed there for about seven hours in the end. Make, you make it all sound so kind of uh, idyllic. You're talking about, you know, St Stephen's Church up above Robin Hood's Bay. And, you know, it's like some kind of England which doesn't exist at all, but obviously it does. <laughs> it, does. it clearly does. It's ridiculously pretty. One of the things, uh, me and my dad have been on the road the last uh, the last five weeks. And really, I love driving around. I actually love driving around England this time of year because it's just got that beautiful, lush, kind of misty fruitfulness thing going for it. And it, it is absolutely stunning country to drive around very much so and I'm, as I say I'm, I'm very lucky Robin and Bay is a, a great place to live and we have a lot of music going on so it's nice Lancome um, I think when p- people hear Lancome first they go hang on a minute, wait a minute this is this is uh, this is like the, the Dubliners it's like it's, it's a, put it this way it's a kind of folk music which had kind of we didn't think might be revived in this way, if that's what they're doing. And I know that's to simplify what they're doing. But you know what I mean? It's the style of ballad singing. I really think so. And it's... it's um, I I like that because I do... I, I'll admit, I do get lost in the kind of modern, shiny Celtic music thing. Mm. Um, Don't we all? The, the, the style of the... You know, the very, very slick style of the fiddle playing, everything really fast, don't play any tune more than twice kind of thing. I like the fact that they'll just sit on a tune for 12 minutes. I love that. And and it does strike me as an old way of doing things. And, of course, they were <clears throat> very much into the Watersons as well. And, of course, and, and as, as I mentioned earlier, the Dubliners and the Watersons had a very similar approach to things uh, back in the day. So um, they remind me of... I guess they rem- they feel like family to me. They really do. We've uh, yeah, we just we just get on really well. It's 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 nice to see them on the circuit and everything. I always make an effort to go, you know, if they're in the area. Okay, and I well, think it's a lovely, it is. It's a lovely old kind of way of doing Irish music. And this I is really called uh, "Old Man from Over the Sea," Lancome. And that's Lancome there, an old man from over the sea, the choice of Eliza Carthy. Eliza, you were talking a little bit earlier on about, you know, the family tree, where you grew up and all of that. I, you know, was, was it all folk music when you were a kid? We were talking about our own kids there. When you were growing up, were you, were you, were you just listening to, or indeed did you, were you only allowed to <laughs> listen, listen to the Copper family or something all the time? And, 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 or or were, were other awful awful influences from the outside world allowed into your life. <laughs> uh, my dad brought me back a Metal Mickey single once. <laughs> do you right. remember Metal Mickey? I do, I do. Yeah, big tin can with springs on his arms. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I was... Uh, my my parents were always very, very open-minded about music. And, and of course, my mum was a disc jockey. She was a, she was a DJ on Radio Antilles in the 1960s, so she had a fabulous record collection made up of... All sorts. I mean, sort of Bessie Smith is her big hero. Um, but she also really loved Motown and massively into Calypso as well because she lived in the West Indies and 
so so we had loads of Kitchener, loads of Mighty Sparrow, that kind of thing. Oh, that's you great, know, great. really, really good. And of course, kids love that. That's yeah, great for and kids. yeah, they do, especially the mucky ones. <laughs> yeah, there are some. But, uh, yeah, um, but yeah, I grew up. I grew up on a on a farm with my uh, with my uncle's family and my auntie's family there as well. So I had. A load of cousins, massive gaggle of cousins who were all 10 years older than me and they were all into madness and some of them were in, were, were in a really bad 80s metal like White Snake, you mm. know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a load of ACDC around. So, um, you know, in addition to listening to Seamus Ennis and, and uh, Walter Pardon and Cyril Tawney and people like that, I was, I was also listening to... Uh, I was also listening to Motown. I was listening to sort of early world music. My dad was really into a, um, an African singer-songwriter called Tony Bird, uh, and he really liked Osabisa. He really liked... Uh, I mean, there, there was lots of things, but both of my parents were massively into Queen as well, so... Seriously? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, we've so got Martin Carthy and Norman Watterson, big Queen fans. Massive Queen fans, yeah. That's really great. day at the races and night at the opera, folks. If you remember nothing else from tonight's program, remember that. <laughs> Take that away. But Eliza, when you were at, when you were at school and you're a teenager, did you have pals who were into folk music as well, or, or were you on your own there? I was pretty much on my yeah. own as far as that was concerned. Yeah, there are a few people in the village who are into it now, but um, but no, not in the seventies. No. Okay. <laughs> your next your next choice. You were talking about world music there and. And you also referred, you know, sort of something similar earlier on about what they call Celtic music. Now, the danger with world music, as we all know, is that sometimes it just becomes some big mushy mess of, of nothingness. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes something happens and it's, it, it really works and you can't quite work out why. Your next choice is Hebridean music. Yeah. But it's given a sort of a treatment as well. Yeah, very much so. I mean, my... I, I suppose my awakening to to playing traditional music in in a modern way, in a way that my that me and my peers would would sort of relate to, if you like, um, has a lot to do with Scotland. It has a lot to do with Scottish music, specifically um, producers like Jim Sutherland, who produced the Big Machine record, and um, Sugar Nifty, Pete Bog Fairies, and mouth music. Um, I didn't know that you could I didn't know that you could you know that you could sing in in Scots Gaelic and put beats to it. I didn't you know I, Martin Bennett completely blew my mind. I my relationship with my relationship with Scotland has very very much colored the way that I play traditional music. And um and uh, one of the singers in in mouth music actually um is in a group that I work with a lot called the Bevy Sisters who are like a um a sort of uh, harmony girl group mm. that uh, sing their own stuff as well, and they, uh, Dave Donnelly, who is in the Gift Band, is uh, is their guitarist as well. And uh, Kyla Rowan, who uh, who is one of the singers in Mouth Music, is in the Bevy Sisters as well. So there's a current connection going there. As but uh, Scotland had a massive, massive impression on on the way I do things, and um, Mouth Music was one of the very first times I encountered that. So okay, and this is called Hey Mantha. That's called Hey Man 2, comes from Mouth Music. It's the choice of Eliza Carthy, who's uh, with me in studio. Eliza, you were picking up on particular on that uh, that track, the fiddle playing. 
And yeah. when did you start playing fiddle? Because obviously, you know, people know you as a singer, but I, I also know you, you know, clearly fiddle is a huge part of your act. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, I think you always have it in your hand, don't you? Most <laughs> of the I time. do. Well, I accompany myself with it. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, but the, the fiddle to me is, um, I've never been a great virtuoso as far as the fiddle is concerned, but but what I really like about about that track is at the time, whenever you saw, so, you know, late 80s, early 90s, whenever you saw a fiddle fronting a folk rock, for want of a better word, band, it always sounded horrible. And it was <laughs> it's like, well, you go, the, 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 you, you go to all that, the, all those lengths to learn how to play an instrument and then you essentially just electrify a piece of wood and it just sounds horrible. Tone was always really, really important to me. If you're going to find the, the sort of funk and profundity in front of drums and in front of bass, all of which sounds absolutely gorgeous. I, I cannot stick a wasp in a jar over the top of that. And the rhythm, the rhythm and tone is really, really important to me. And the, that that piece of fiddle playing over over that kind of a backing track really started to open my eyes to to the importance of just that woody tone is just so beautiful. But the fiddle is also, it's not just a melody instrument, it's a rhythm instrument as well. So to, to be able to get the funk and the tone and the sex, that's, that's what I'm interested in. And those kind of recordings really started to open my eyes to that. And then again, people like Angus Grant Jr. and um, Martin Bennett as well. And just playing in a way that doesn't sound like everybody else. And it sounds like you actually want to hear the instrument, you know, and you want to hear a conversation between the drums and the melody instrument. You don't... So many folk rock bands, it's just like stick a drummer behind it and then everybody has to go to the drummer. It's like you don't have to do that. You can have conversations with the drummers and you can have musical conversations where nobody's giving anything up. I think that's the problem with a lot of folk rock is that it's not folk and it's not rock. Yeah, exactly. You know, it it's doesn't not satisfy a, anybody. It's not a proper conversation. Yeah, You've yeah. got to have the proper conversation. I think you said the funk and the tone and the sex. I think I did. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. My pleasure. <laughs> What's your next choice? <laughs> oh, my next choice is um, <clears throat> is uh, a lovely lady called Helen Schneier, who was uh, a friend of the family for years and years and years. The first time I toured in the United States with my parents, I was about, about 14, 15 years old. And uh, we went to stay with Helen. She had a, a log cabin in the woods in Vermont, she lived with a no-eared cat called Yossel. Just had two little half moons because his ears had frozen off in the winter in the Vermont cold or been eaten by a bear, you know, something like that. But uh, anyway, yes, yeah, she was uh, she was a fabulous, fabulously filthy old lady. Um, she was by the time I met her, she was already well into her seventies, and she was she was a big old Jewish lady, and she had this white hair that went all the way down her back, all the way down to her ass, you know. And she used to wear these incredible voluminous white kind of nightgowns with acres of lapis lazuli all over her fingers, like silver jewelry and the whole thing. And she used to sit at the piano, bash the piano, and sing these uh, for an old Jewish lady. She used to sing all these uh, sort of old um, like Methodist gospel hymns and stuff. And basically anything that she could find that either made her laugh or made her cry. One of her favourite things was a genre that she invented her, <laughs> that she invented herself called hideobelia. Hideobelia basically meant the saddest or the cheapest thing that you could possibly come up with. And uh, and this uh, the the song that she's singing 
here is kind of is kind of one of those. It's a it's a Stephen Foster song, and I absolutely love it. And it's one of those things that you have to sing ten times through tears before you can before you can actually perform it. It's just a beautiful song. So she was a great character. She apparently. Uh, there was a, an obituary in the in the Washington Post or something when she died, and I didn't know this, but she'd apparently played for Eleanor Roosevelt. Now she was one of the foulest mouthed old ladies that I ever, ever knew. I was I would love to have been a fly on the wall when she met, <laughs> when she met Eleanor Roosevelt. I really would. Nellie was a lady, Helen Schneier. 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 Oh, Liza, that was a great, 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 great song. Helen Schneier. Schneier. Nellie was a lady. The choice of Eliza Carthy. Eliza's with me in studio tonight. She's picking the music. Eliza, this, this conversation's probably not worth having about, about folk and how it's received and, and, and what you can do and what you can't do, so let's not get into all that because <laughs> you do whatever you want and that's quite, quite correct. But what's, is it possible to say what the folk scene is like in England? I mean, is it, is it, is it healthy? Is it in trouble? Do things have to be fixed, revived? Is stuff falling away again? Is it coming back? All that stuff. Um... It's doing really, really well at the moment. I think, like most places, our festival scene is doing better than the, the gigging scene right now. Um, for obvious reasons, people aren't going to so many concerts at the moment. Mm. You know, CD sales are not the best. But the festival scene is absolutely jumping. Um, and we have more young players and singers than ever before. It's... Um, the various folk degree courses in in England have have really boosted the numbers of, sort of professional musicians, kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> we have a huge dance scene. There's people in a traditional dance, both like social dance and the obvious Morris dancing as well. We've got loads and loads of young dancers. Um, and so does that's it break, all. Does it sort of break down the way it does here in that? You know, there's, there's families like yours mm. that we see the, the real thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then there's other stuff, and then there's other stuff. You know, oh, there's, there's a broad church and there's room for all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I presume it works the same way in, in England. I mean, but are there still, for instance, are there many people like the Waterstunt around the place, the Watersons? Um, are there many? No. No. No, there aren't. And, and the, 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 what we have, what we've done in in the UK, and I don't know if it's the same in Ireland, but we've created a tradition of a profession. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That we have people who learn to play folk music so that they can be professional folk singers. And that carries with it a certain thing. Mm. You know, so... And that the, the question of whether or not that is authentic in itself is something that... Um, you kind of skirt past in some yeah, ways yeah. because there, there is no answer to that. There is there is a very strong grassroots thing underneath the, the, the veneer of professionalism, you know, but you don't find so many of the, 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 the kind of singing traditional families anymore. There are there are people like the Orchards down in Dartmoor. There's the Copper family still. They have a, they have a young group now that sing... Uh, there's sort of second, third, well, I suppose fourth generation now. Um, there's the Wilsons up in the up in Teesside. Um, and we're all of us, I suppose, except for the Orchards, semi-professional mm. now. Mm. Um, but no, I, 
I think uh, you'd have to ask someone like Sam Lee from the um, <clears throat> uh, from the Nest Collective about the traveller families and w whether or not there is much music carried there. Mm. Um, most of the traveller families I know, there's not really. So, uh, but there are there are pockets of people that still sing that have learned music from their families, that kind of thing. But by and large, by and large, it doesn't really exist anymore. On but the folk scene, I'm going to say on the folk scene, which is where I spend most of my time. So right, yeah. because when I see when I see, for instance, a festival bill now, a folk festival, yeah, the headliner could be I don't know, Madness. You know, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, uh, Petula Clark. Yeah, Petula Clark. Was it played Cambridge last year? Right. Was it? Oh, was it this year? Yeah. Well, whatever about <laughs> Petula Clark, right? Who's who's brilliant and wonderful and all those things. Is there an argument now that what Madness do, for instance? And you mentioned them earlier on as a group you would have heard growing up. That's English folk music. It certainly is. It is, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And it's distinctly English. Yeah, very much so. I mean, so. I know it came from the Caribbean, through, but it's distinctly English, not. Yeah, and it's come through a very <clears throat> specific self-made community. It's come through, it's come through, um, you know, disparate, uh, disparate sort of groups of people coming together and making a new kind of music, which is folk music. That's what it is. I mean, by process. When I talk about folk music, I, I think about folk music as a process. Then there's traditional music, which is a particular thing. Sure. You know, so, so yeah, in its purest sense, Madness is absolutely 100% folk music. So it's 100% yeah. spot on that they would headline a folk festival in England? I guess. Yeah, I think yeah, so too. I think, yeah, probably. But then I would extend that. I said The Clash, you know, if they were still around. Well, this is the next thing we were going to get on to because, um, because I, was talking to, uh, I was talking to the Lynches about this yesterday. Um, the, one Lynch, of the, the Lynches, that, by the way, are Lancome. Uh, the Lancome family, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was talking to them about this because... One of the things that my dad very, very fervently believes is that where the English folk scene went wrong in the late 70s and early 80s is they turned the punks away. Mm. They wouldn't let them in the folk clubs. You know, and, and that's why there's a, there's a whole generation missing in English folk music. And it's those people. And it's those people who went out and formed Stiff Records. It's those people who were hanging out with Billy Bragg. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely those people well, Joe, who were Joe's, making, in its purest sense, folk music. Well, the likes of Joe Strummer and Elvis Costello and these people yeah. were all ideal candidates to sing in a folk club. Absolutely. And they wanted to. Yeah. And they wouldn't, and they wouldn't let them in. That's a mistake, isn't it? Yeah. I'm Very glad to hear Martin said that too, because I presume in England as well, you know, you have the same kind of people that we have here who are very, very sniffy about what qualifies, what doesn't, what's let in under the wire and what isn't, and mm -hmm. that kind of control thing. But again, we're not, not, let's not get into that. But there are good reasons and bad reasons for that. I mean, you, I think what people have to remember is that that comes from a very pure place. It comes from, from, from a place of people who have discovered something really, really beautiful that they want to protect, and that in itself is totally understandable. Mm. It's just what decisions they make from that point as to what's protecting and what's allowing something to flourish. Um, that's where the, yeah, that's, that's, that's where the choice comes in, you know. Okay, your next musical choice, Bert Lloyd and Dave Swarbrick. Yes. Bonnie Black Hair. And there's a song called The Bonnie Black Hair, uh, the choice of Eliza Carthy, performed there by Bert Lloyd and Dave Swarbrick. And uh, yes, it was about what you think it was about. We'll be right back after this. Train 45, leaving Union Station, Cincinnati, Ohio. All aboard for all points south. 
This is Mystery Train on RTE Lyric FM. My guest tonight on this special Sunday service is Eliza Carthy. Eliza's picking the music. We're just going to gloss over the bonny black hair now, Eliza. Um, should have been parental guidance on that side. It's a great thing about folk music, though. You can get away with anything. Oh, yes. Because people sit there and go, yes, this is, this is precious it's and traditional. special. It's traditional. Right. <laughs> you have to be very careful. Yeah. Careful now. Yeah, careful. <laughs> careful now. Down with this sort of thing. <laughs> so your next choice is Vertina. So tell me about Vertina. Uh, they are a group from Finland. Um, they're, I've been working with them now, sort of on and off, for well, about 10 years. We originally we met, we met at the Witchwood Festival when I was a patron of the Witchwood Festival in Cheltenham. And every year they would get me to work with a different group, sort of a special collaboration, if you like. And uh, so one year I did Salsa Celtica, one year I worked with Ed Harcourt, and one year I worked with Vertina. And when it was... Uh, when they were still in their pop phase, because um, for they were pop stars for a while, and they also did the music for the touring uh, stage show of Lord of the Rings as well. Right. So that's how so most people would know them. Uh, they've recently gone acoustic. They're they're working as a trio at the moment, and uh, I sang with them at the WOMAD Festival this year, which was really fun. But I'm also working with them on a an ongoing project of mine called uh, the European Project, the Generations, the European Project, which is to do with people like me, people that come from a traditional folk music background, and then, if you like, what we do with it next kind of thing. So I've got six families from across Europe all talking about the different ways they... Um, the different ways they they treat their provenance, if you like, like there's a, a cellist from Austria who's gone on to play in a punk band. Her father was uh, an ethnomusicologist known for uh, bringing folk music back to Austrian kids in the 1960s. You know, I've been working with Mauro Duranti, who is the fiddle player from Cancionieri Grecanico Salentino, who are from Puglia. And his family, his his father started their band in 1975 and then passed it on to him kind of thing. It's a shame this European project will all come to a crashing halt. Oh, so, but we'll discuss, don't we'll, even. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> let's let's hear Let's hear Vertina. Vertina. <laughs> And that's Vertina, the uh, choice of Eliza Carthy. That's, that's uh, mad stuff, isn't it? Oh, I love it. Now, do you have any trouble? I remember watching a documentary once, uh, Dizzy Gillespie going to Cuba. And I know um, that musically they were very connected already, but he just walked into this, uh, p nobody, you know, p people speaking Spanish, he didn't speak Spanish, and he just stood there and started going, and that was it. That was the conversation, that was the communication. Right. When you play with somebody from Finland or any other culture, mm. um, does it always work out? Is it? Is it? Is it do, mis, do musicians always connect, or you know, are there problems? In some ways, I suppose it depends on the because I've done a lot of collaboration over the years, and, and with some people that I haven't been able to speak to, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I worked with Chango Spasiuk when I was presenting the Radio Three Awards for World Music about uh, ten, fifteen years ago, and the only thing that didn't work about it, um, although uh, I, I speak kind of. Slightly limited conversational Spanish. Um, the only thing that didn't work about it was I didn't understand the musical form. Like if you if you're doing something, it's like so take an English traditional fiddle player and um, get her to learn a very specific dance form of the area of Argentina that he comes from, kind of thing. And I just didn't get it. 
I learned I learned the song. I was able to sing the song just fine, but the but the the the, the rhythm did completely blow my mind. And we I mean we did it. It was it was successful. It it, it worked, but it was really hard. Mm. And that's I suppose it's to do with whether or not I'm asking someone like in the European project for instance, in the Generations project. Um we are performing one song that I bring to the party and one song that they bring to the party. And the question is whether it becomes a fusion or whether it's me guesting on a Finnish song. Sure. You know, sure. with with Vertina, what we've done is we've taken a song called Three Drunken Maidens and uh, they've translated half of it into Finnish. And um, we've figured out a way to make it half English and half Finnish. Which is great because again, you're talking about it's, it's a conversation. You're talking about a musical conversation. Expecting someone from very, very far away to be able to to jump onto my tradition and understand it completely, or the other way around, is is the only that it's the only stumbling block. Generally, everyone just gets together and plays. You know, I I, I was in Ghana for the uh, celebration of the 200th anniversary of the Abolition of Slavery Act. And I had to play with a musician from a musician from Mali, a musician from was he from Nigeria? Yeah, and and we had to get together the four of us and come up with something that made sense. We played for the president of Ghana in this slave port called Elmina Castle, which is just a terrifying place. And um, uh, but we got together and we sang in the local dialect and. It was Embira, one string fiddle, Cora, and me, <laughs> right. and um, <clears throat> and we did have problems communicating, but we got on with it. We were together for three days. We ended up having such a laugh; it was amazing. And then you have music at the end of it, and music—it sounds trite, but it, it's a language. And we came up with something, and it was—it it was glorious. Have was, you ever been? And everybody, I started singing in the local dialect and everyone burst out laughing. I was like, what? What's wrong with my, you know, conversational tree? <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation though where you're thinking to yourself, you know something, what we're making now isn't, isn't really music. I can stand over it and I don't want to do this. Right. I presume um, that can happen. I imagine it can. I guess you're talking about, oh, it's taste for me. Hmm. I am not a session player. I don't do session well. So if you put me in a room with someone who's going to ask me to just solo over the breaks, we're going to have a problem because it's not what I do. And the only time that was ever an issue is when I was working with Joan Baez because she, because again, she she didn't know what I did. She didn't know that I was a singer violinist, that I do both at the same time. It's an accompaniment and I don't play solos. I was working for her and I had to put all of that aside and become the kind of fiddle player that Joan Baez uses, you know. Mm. So that was that was difficult for me, um, but I was able to put it aside and just and just get on with it and do it because it's Joan Baez, for God's sake, you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I, there are times when I've been really, really challenged when the person that I'm working with is so far ahead of me that, that I've just felt completely overwhelmed there's a few instances. Actually, one of the Generations Project um, artists is a woman called Eva Bitova, who's a, an avant-garde violinist and opera is, yeah. singer, and she's yeah. wonderful, wonderful. And the, the first couple of times that I tried to work with her, I was just like, how am I going to do this? You're incredible. 
Bill Frizzell was the same when I was working with Bill Frizzell because, again, the, the man is a genius, you know, and you just have to, you have to stand up for yourself and find your path. That's what you have to do. And true collaboration is, is about just saying, how can I serve this? Tim Erickson, who you're working with at the moment. Yes, that's right. We're, uh, we're, uh, we've got a couple of gigs in Ireland um, and then we're off to, we're off to the Netherlands. Um, uh, we, I've known Tim since I was about 13, 14 years old and he's one of the great American traditional music interpreters and a punk rocker at that. So. Good. Can't go wrong. And that's called Every Day is Three from uh, Tim Erickson from an album called Josh Billings' Voyage. Or, what's that word? Co Cosmopolite on the Cotton Road. <laughs> so complicated, Eliza. Um, Eliza Carthy's with me in studio. Uh, Eliza's picking the music. We're having a great time here. We're, we have a bit of time left and some big stuff still to come. Um, now, the next one, Yeremia, Goran Bregovic. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Cause, and, and the one coming after as well, Chris Polska, which is this is Polish? The next one Polish, is it? Uh, no, it's uh, Finnish. Finnish and Swedish. So Jeremia Bregovic is what? He's... Bosnian. Bosnian, OK. And are these all places that you played and picked up music as you go? No, or? actually, I... I... I picked up on Goran Bregovic really uh, through, through films, actually, through... Um, oh, what's the director's name? I can't remember the director's name now. But, uh, yeah, through... Um, my my bass player Barnaby Stradling is a big sort of world cinema person, and and um, and Goran Bregovic has done lots and lots of uh, arranging for various films over the years. He was a pop star originally, and then he's uh, he's known now for well, he's funnily enough he curated the festival in Puglia that Maro um, runs, um, and he's known for for his well work with. Traveller musicians, um, gypsy bands, and uh, and brass, and I absolutely love the Eastern European brass thing, and uh, and I love his voice. It can be hard to keep up with those <laughs> wedding bands. Yeah, how do people dance to that <laughs> without putting your back out? <laughs> I think you drink a lot of slivovitz before you do it. Okay, well let's hear um, Goran Bregovic and Yeremia. And that's uh, Krospolska. Uh, you better tell me the rest of it because you were telling me this is an album I should have, Eliza. Oh yes, her dingana. It's a classic. It's a classic record. It's called Kaxi. The the album is called Kaxi, which means two, I believe. And her uh, dingana originally were a trio, and then they added. They're they're from Sweden, and then they added these two fi Finnish singers uh, for this album in 1992, and. Again, it's just a, it's, it's a completely different way of looking at folk rock. It's a completely different way of of, uh, of doing things. I think the Scandinavians do that dark kind of growly folk rock thing really, really well. And um, yeah, it's just it's one of my favourite albums. It's never been far from the player, you know. And the one before uh, Goran Bregovic is Bosnian, that right? Yes. Yeremia, terrific. Um, Liza, we, we I joked about this earlier, but. Um, you know, when you, Boris Johnson got a mention at the top of the programme, <laughs> The Road to Mandalay, and, and then you were talking about your European project. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, uh, cheers. And, 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 um, <laughs> I've chosen just the right time, yeah, yeah, haven't I? Have. Yeah, but it's all the, about the timing. But there's an, inter there's an interesting thing. You know, there's, 
there's a whole lot of England uh, for with whom and for whom there's no culture shock whatsoever for Irish people. Do you know? No, no problem. I mean, right. I don't mean political problem. I mean, it's just like, you know, when it comes to the music, mm. and particularly I'm thinking of Martin Carthy, who we're going to hear soon, um, that whole folk scene was an interaction between the Irish musicians and the English musicians. A lot of the Irish musicians here learnt their craft in the folk clubs of England. Christy, yeah. Christy Moore will tell you that. Yeah. Um, the Dubliners, over all that. So there was always that crossover. You sing the same songs. Yeah. Swap the songs over and Absolutely. all that kind of stuff. So there's that there's that part of England that that we all feel at home with mm-hmm. and, and 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 like. And and I'm leaving out tons of stuff. Shakespeare, you know, all <laughs> the rest of it. Um, and then, do you remember the, the Olympics in London? Yeah. The opening ceremony? Yeah. The whole world kind of went, well, this, this, this representation of, of this England or Britain or whatever it is, we, we can handle this. This is good. This, yeah. It was all, the Windrush was coming and, uh, you know, the, yeah. the different cultures and the music and the National Health Service and all the stuff that was good was being kind of celebrated. Yeah. Um, but I turn on the TV now, and I'm not making a, a party point, but I see... Michael Gove, who looks like he's come out of an ealing comedy, you know, <laughs> but not a funny one. You ever seen him clap? <laughs> I, have. Got, oh, oh, I have. I oh, have. It's, it's worth watching. I can't watch it. <laughs> you know, and you've got Boris and you've got Theresa May and you've got Brexit and you've got all this kind of stuff and Nigel Farage, you know, all these people. And I, I asked this of an American musician, Josh Ritter. He's, he's living in Trumpland. Yes. Um, must be odd being the type of English, English person that we all get on with <laughs> when, you're, when you're being represented in public by that shower of by, well I'm not using those terms <laughs> but, 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 you, but you've been represented by people with, uh, with whom I, I know yourself and Martin your family would have absolutely nothing in common with mm. whatsoever it's an incredibly mean spirited representation of my country at the moment it really really is and I feel I never thought I would feel this but I, I actually feel like a stranger in my own land at the moment it's, mm. it's, it's horrific it's absolutely horrific. Just the the things that people say about supposedly British values. You know, I'm one of these people, I'm one of these build a bigger table people. You don't build a wall, you build a bigger table. Um, my my great-grandmother, my mum always used to say to me that, um, that my great-grandmother would always set an extra place at the dinner table for the uninvited guest. Those are the values that we were brought up with. You never knew when you might be entertaining angels unawares. That's what she used to say. And uh, I'm very much a do-as-you-would-be-done-by kind of a person, politically and personally and everything. And um, I don't understand this anger. I don't understand how people have allowed themselves to be whipped whipped up into this xenophobic fury. And I don't understand why nobody knows their history. This is how you keep a population down by turning them against each other, by turning by turning the poor against the weak, you know, turn the poor against the dispossessed, and then we can just get on with whatever we want to get on with, and you won't say anything because you're too busy fighting with each other. And it's desperate. Mm. <clears throat> it's desperate. It feels like the 1930s. It feels like the early 1930s. It feels like someone's going to jackboot across the UK any minute now. It really does. Really? It feels it, that bad? It does. Know? It's terrifying, like, and it felt like that immediately post-Brexit as mm. well. Immediately post the vote, post the referendum vote, racist attacks went up by over 30%. People are openly screaming at, at different-looking people in the street now. They're attacking people on buses. It's, it's 
terrifying. I think the shock was about all these things is that I kind of naively, up until recently, always thought things were going to get better in the I world. always felt I that just things assumed, were getting better. But I assumed that's the way the world would go. Everything I, would yeah. improve. Yes. I never thought it was going to go backwards. Apparently, uh, yeah, apparently humans need to feel that. Humans always need to feel that things are getting better. And I certainly, I certainly did. I always thought we were, we were marching towards some great future. And I, I don't feel that anymore. I, I actually, for the very first time in my life, I'm actually afraid. Mm. Uh, that, that things aren't going to improve, that they will get worse before they get better. It must be very hard on people like Martin's generation, people like that who were, you know, were around when things were really hopeful. Yeah. And they, and they, were, cre- they were actually yeah, yeah. creating and driving the hope, you know? Anyway, I know I didn't mean to upset you. No, but, no, you didn't but it, upset me. <laughs> but, it, but, it's, but it's interesting to get, get the point <clears throat> of someone who's, who's, who's English as opposed to what, you know, Boris Johnson says being English is. Yeah. You know? Let's hear a song from your dad. That was me thinking I was going to hear Martin sing and you wanted the Harry Lyme theme. <laughs> just, just curiously, why, why did you choose that? It's your dad, you know, you know his music intimately. I mean, why did you pick that particular track? Um, as opposed to a song, you mean? Yeah, well... well. I, funnily enough, because I was listening to it in the car yesterday and it, and it, and it just struck me what... What a beautiful arrangement it is, and it's it's sort of it's the way that my dad's brain works that he would take that piece of music from from uh, the third man that he would take that piece of music and turn it into a, a, a unique piece on the guitar. He's just he's a wonderful, wonderful musician. I've seen you and your dad together. You know, you get on really well, don't you? We really do. We've had a great time on the road. Actually, yeah. we've just just finished our tour, so it's been great. He sits there and he falls asleep and he does his crossword and then he talks about his time in the National Theatre and cracks jokes about funny place names and yeah, we, we know what to do, you know, we just get on. Well, give him my very best. I was very well, honoured honor to work with him at one point and I think he's just a very special man. Anyway, your next choice. Um, <laughs> here's, here's a tune we know. Eliza Carthy, I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> twinkle, twinkle, little star. I know that one. <laughs> and that's, that's performed by Bios Seco. Am I right? Yes. From New Mexico, you say? From New Mexico, yeah. They, uh, they do tour over here. They come over, come over about once a year and they, they, they tour around. They're a lovely, lovely couple. Again, uh, just uh, friends of the family that we've known for years and years and years. During, the, during that song, you told me something I didn't know. Your godmother lives in Fermanagh. Yes. And you've just been there. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we were rehearsing there the last couple of days. Liza, that's my, my neck of the woods. It never ceases to amaze me what's going on. Andy Irvine was living there for quite a while too, right. you know. Uh, yeah. There you go, yeah. She lives about, uh, what is it, about three, four miles from Brookborough. It's, I know, was it Laurie Anderson said it? It's a small world, but I wouldn't want to paint it. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, before we play the next track, it's just occurred to me, um, you've picked nothing which you might describe as rock music, you know, sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Mainstream kind of pop music, rock music, anything yeah. like that. Yeah, or, you, or for that matter, you haven't picked Neil Young, Bob Dylan, <laughs> Leonard Cohen, the people that people normally would pick, actually, at some point. Yeah, you know? yeah. Maybe that's because you don't need Bob Dylan and Neil Young when your dad's Martin Carthy and your mother's Norman Watterson. <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe that's the reason. Anyway, it's, it's all the better for it. It's great. Don't want to rush you. We have room for two more, Ooh. and I want to make sure we get them in. Okay, let's this do it. This comes from an album called uh, One More Dance and Then. 
Tell me about the new Victory Band. This is Connections. Uh, it does. It's kind of family and friends connections again. And uh, they're sort of one of the classic 70s, 80s English country music dance bands. And I wanted to play this one. It's a Roger, Whits it's a Roger Watson song um, called You Can't Take That on the Train that just uh, sort of harks back to the old music hall kind of songs. Our pussycat, it died like... Oh, Eliza, you've excelled yourself there. You can't, you can't take that on the train. I took it on the train, John. You took it on the train, you did. <laughs> One more dance and then from uh, the new Victory Band. You said a very interesting thing in the middle when we were talking there about what's... I mean, you shouldn't have to have this conversation anymore. It's folk music and what's not. But the way you said it was folk music is the stuff that people know. Ah. Uh, perfectly put. You're going to finish with your mum, with Norma Watterson, and Lal. Yes. So tell me a little bit about this song and why, why you, again, why you might have picked this one as opposed to many, many songs. You uh, there's, a few, there's a few reasons, really. I wanted to I wanted to hear Lal. I wanted to hear her singing with my mum. One of the nice things about living with my mum at the moment um, is that I have two little girls, you know, and uh, she misses her sister very, very much. So it's uh, it's nice for her to to see them singing together, to see them playing together. Uh, so it's partly that. It also reminds me of uh, of our friends in Scotland. I think they learned it from Sheila Stewart, the travelling singer. And um, yeah, that's that's it really. It makes it, it reminds me of being a kid. And uh, I was in a band. I was in a band. I used to sing this with them actually, with my cousin, my cousin Mary Waterson, who is a singer in her own right now. So um, yeah. yeah, lots of reasons. And this is old beggar man, Eliza. Thank you. A million, Thank you. million times over for coming in and putting so much work into picking these fine tunes. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks a million, Eliza. Lovely. Thank you very Eliza much. Eliza Carthy. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast of Mystery Train with John Kelly. Mystery Train hits the rails every Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on 96 to 99 RTE Lyric FM.